Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, a podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to RPG systems, mechanics, and rants about topics we have way overthought. My name is Santa, and I'm glad you can join us again. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Finer and Scott W., but today we have a very special guest, Trevor, from Veil of the Void. I'm glad you can join us today. Glad to be here. Excited, if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, we've been uh, chatting now for, what is that, a week or two weeks now? And yeah. you can just tell how excited you are for your uh, for Veil of the Void. It, it, you, you've created a pretty good community from what I've seen from your Discord. Oh, yeah. I, I love the community. There's it's just some amazing storytellers. Plus, it's a, it's, it's a game all about fun, and then people are pretty chill and they just have fun with it so i'm quite happy to have my community oh that's one thing i noticed is people in the tabletop community have have been so nice Mm -hmm. just so nice uh so uh when did you first get into uh tabletop trevor uh so i actually got into tabletop uh when i was about 15 Uh, we actually started with uh pathfinder uh a bunch of my friends and i got together and we none of, not a single one of us understood tabletop games or what the heck they were. <laughs> uh, one of my older friends was just like, hey, let's play a game. I'm like, oh, OK, so cool. Sounds fun. Show up. And we spent four hours learning the rules. I made a gnome and then we went home. And that was <laughs> <laughs> that was my first experience at tabletop games. So what what inspired that guy to say, hey, let's put together this Pathfinder game? Uh, I don't really know. I never asked him. All I know is he, <laughs> he was talking about it beforehand and, and he wanted us all to come play because he didn't really know anybody else that would be nerdy enough to try it out. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Sounds fun. I'll, I'll come play. We, we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, the second session ended with someone eating poisonous fruit oh. and uh, I think we stopped playing after then and they came back like a year later. So oh wow (laughs) it's funny how many uh people have very similar stories to that exact story when it comes to rpgs there's like it's it's real funny there's such a commonality like it's either that or their big brothers played that's like the only two ones you ever hear i feel so called out right now (laughs) (laughs) um so if you had to uh describe veil the void uh, to someone who may not be familiar with it, how would you describe it? All right. So Fail the Void is the sci-fi fantasy storytellers TTRPG uh, that I heavily designed with one key phrase in mind, and that is this is going to be fun. Uh, everything in the system is about easy homebrewing. It's relatively quick to learn. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's not too crunchy, uh, but it's also got so much content inside one book that you can really build and do whatever you want. Uh, I always like to tell people that I have yet to see an idea that cannot be made using Bell of the Void's rule set. Um, It's all about uh, creativity and letting your ideas uh, grow and really flourish inside the game. And even more so than that, at the very base of it, other than the whole fun concept about it, it's all about character progressing and your characters growing into something more as the game goes on to really give them that living feel to your character. Oh, that's cool. In a nutshell. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot more, but <laughs> no, that's uh that's pretty cool. Um, I was going to ask this question later, but since you kind of brought it up, I when I was looking through your website, but also at some of your previous interviews, and you mentioned a few times the living rule set. Is that kind of what you're getting at when you're trying to do it? Like trying to make it so that you can pretty much hack it as much as you want? Yeah. So that's what that's what I love about this game. I, I get way too excited, but it's it, it is really a living rule set. It, it, and I call it that for a few different reasons. One, because it's super easy to mold and make it into your own thing. I actually have a whole GM's guide section in the rule book uh, that is, I think, like 30 pages of guides and steps and rules that I use to homebrew my rule set. So everybody can create whatever idea they have. 
Um, but outside of that, I also call it a living rule set because it evolves as your characters do. So uh, one of the biggest examples of that is your skills actually advance as you use them. So uh, if you have no points in a skill, you use it 10 times and you get a level up in that skill. And so over time, your character gets better and better at things that they didn't think they were going to be at the beginning of the game. Oh, that's cool. I kind of like that. How, because with a lot of games, it's like, oh, do I really want, like, you do it because I have no skill in it. And this one, it almost, um, it seems to almost try and push you towards doing those things so that you can be better at things that you never thought you originally would be. That makes yeah, it's actually. Sense. Yeah, it's like super cool too, as because I I'm a forever GM unfortunately with the game, but <laughs> uh, whenever I get to watch people's character sheet after say like a year or two long campaign, you get to see like I take I usually take a picture of their very first character sheets and then I we compare it to the very end and it's like you can see who became the face of the party or who had to be forced into the medic role or things like that based on what people were performing and it's really cool to see your character evolve and even more so other than just the skills you gain proficiency as you use weapons in the game so even if you're like a mage and you didn't learn proficiency at character creation to wear a massive great chain sword, but you really thought it would be cool to throw fireballs and cut people down using a flaming chain sword. Uh, you can just practice with that chain sword a few times and boom, you've got proficiency with it. Um, <laughs> you, you also gain custom expertise, which are kind of like super unique feats based around your character, based on how you perform checks. So like going back to that example, if you eventually, uh, catch your chainsword on fire so much uh, it could get to the point where um, after a set amount of attacks with it, like a burst of fire bursts from your sword or something like that. So uh, again, that all plays on the living rule set idea. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's a cool idea because a lot of times um, you see folks who you get the players who get bored, right? They're like, mm -hmm. I want to be a fighter. Okay, two sessions in. I want to be a ranger. Two more sessions. No, 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 no. I want to be a cleric now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so a system like this, you might be able to obviate a little bit of the frustration of some folks. <laughs> yeah, and, and the good thing, too, is it's not like uh, – it's not something – so demanding that you have to do it um, for people who are newer to the game. If they just want to play one class and they don't want to dive too deep outside of that because they just want to kind of learn the game perfectly fine. They will be just as powerful as someone who goes and takes the time to custom class because we actually have custom classing in this game, which is a little bit different than multi-classing uh, for most of the time. Multi-classing is, you know, like an example in D&D, you take a level from another class and you have to learn how to balance them and, and all that fun stuff. In Veil of the Void, there are, everybody gets a base class, a level one. That level one determines what unique abilities they have access to. Um, but then as they level up, instead of taking your level two, let's say you want a level two of another class, as long as it doesn't have an asterisk next to it, notifying that it's a unique ability, you can take it. So there's, I think we calculated and there's like 25,000 combinations that you can do just with classes in the game. Uh, so, but at the same time, if you don't want to do that and you're, you're, you're more sticking to a single class, then again, you can do that too. And just be just as viable. Well, this game sounds like it's kind of made for me, considering uh, <laughs> when when Scott said, you know, a person who likes to do this for two games and that, like, you could have just said my name there, Scott. You didn't have to beat around the bush. Like, That's why we do a lot of one shots. It's just easier <laughs> that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. this If you like doing that, then you uh, trust me. You'll, I mean, I'm biased, but you'll like if you like customizing and really making your character feel how you imagine or halfway through, you want to pick up something else and change your style. You can do that with this game. In fact, I even took that into consideration and most of the classes that get bonuses, um, like, uh, based on weapons that they use have every weapon in the game. And this is how, what happens if you use a wand, for instance, uh, like a field knight at level one can charge across the battlefield dragging people with them <laughs> but at level three if they're using a staff instead of charging across the battlefield they can teleport behind someone and, and release a burst of ordic energy that knocks people backwards 
Um, and so based on like kind of what weapons you're going into, you can change. If you want to use a bow, you can launch this giant arrow at someone that knocks them backwards and sticks them prone to the ground. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. No, that it, the amount of customization in it for me, that just sounds fantastic, especially since like, I know I'm not alone on this one. Finder is the same thing where we like to almost like evolve our characters as we go. And for oh, yeah. anyone who loves kind of an evolving character, this, this sounds like absolutely perfect for it. But um, so you can tell, like I said, you're, you're very passionate about this. But what <laughs> what initially actually started the, the spark for you to begin this project? You know, that's a great question. That was like what 19 years ago now um (laughs) uh i just really i remember the very first thing i enjoyed was like playing uh guild wars actually was the very first thing that i played i don't know if you know that but it's i I played it oh yeah it was i played a lot of that and uh i was like oh you know what this would be fun i wanted to create my own game and after leaving college, I was like, I really don't want to go to school to learn <laughs> <laughs> to learn how to design stuff. And then I, you know, by then I already found out about tabletop games and was like, you know what, let's take this idea that I've had for a game and try to work it into another system like D&D or Savage Worlds or something like that. Didn't work. Didn't like it as much because uh, I'm very particular in ideas for uh, what I wanted. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll just make my own game. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill the Void kind of spiraled out of control from there and became my favorite game. And, you know, I always, I always like to say that I was a bit selfish when I was making it because I pretty much made every class and species to be something I would actually play. Uh, and I wrote the game pretty much for myself, but uh, it, it eventually grew to where everybody else liked it too, so... Oh, that's I think that's the way to go, because like if if you love something and you enjoy it and you're creating something, you're you're never alone on these kind of things. And event you will find people who are like minded, especially now in the day of the Internet, where oh, yeah. you, know, you can talk to anyone in the world. Um, you'll you'll find a crowd if you put in. And this is something that a lot of, I think, um major companies can learn is if you find people who are passionate about something and just let it loose, you will come up with a good product no matter what. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) (laughs) You can't tell already. No, no, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) So on a scale of PBTA to third, third edition Shadowrun, where would you actually put the, put the crunch in your game? All right, so I was actually trying to look those difficulties up uh, <laughs> earlier because I was like, what is PPT? And I was like, oh, that's right. I remember that one. Um, so the easiest way for me to think about it is that it's far less complex than something like Pathfinder. Yeah. But a more, uh, but more crunchy than, say, something like I, you know, that's like a, a 10 page rule set. That's very easy to understand. Um, but I, the greatest example I have is one of the people who is huge in this community. Uh, People's Ascension is what he's called. Uh, he reviewed the game and talked about the rule set and he taught the entire game, uh, including all the classes and how to play the game and how to do combat initiative, everything in 30 minutes. Oh. Um, so the core rules that I like to call them, super easy to pick up. Um, even for newer players, which I've actually tested it on both new GMs and new players. And with Reforged in particular, because I took a lot of extra time in Reforged to clarify stuff and to mm-hmm. reorganize it, it, it takes about 30 minutes to learn the game. Um, oh. Even at conventions. Uh, where I've taken it before, people have only taken about thirty minutes to learn the game, and then they're rolling and and customizing all within like forty minutes of playing the game, and they're they're going into it. So I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's definitely good. So you you mentioned the the first edition. So how big are the differences actually between the first edition and Reforged? Okay, so the the way I like to describe it is Reforged is a one point five edition. Um, 
it's basically reforged, took all the core rule books, kept all the same stuff, except clarified things easier. I reorganized it completely. I or added like another, oh, I think like another 40 pages, like 30 or 40 pages um, of content that I could afford to do so because I found out that uh, I could find a new printer company and I took it on myself now where I do all the shipping myself so that I get rid of the middleman and uh, that way I can actually look at the books too before I send them. But uh, basically Reforged is an update, bringing it to where I originally wanted it to be. Uh, now, I specifically designed the game so that even with Reforged, if you have the first edition, you can still play alongside someone who has the Reforged edition. So I did not want to invalidate the first copy. It was very important to me because I actually care heavily about my community, which is why I try to charge as little money as I can for it while also giving as much content as I can. Mm-hmm. I can I read this at one point and I was wondering if it's true. Did Matt Mercer actually uh, fund one of your Kickstarters? He did. He bought the first hardback book. Um, I sent him the first copy. Uh, and then I also sent him a reforged copy, which um, I got a thanks for. And, uh, you know, maybe one day, I, I hope beyond hope that maybe they'll one day play it. I won't uh, hold my breath, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice idea at least. <laughs> I think they're under a lot of contractual obligations with that. Yeah, one. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, but uh, <laughs> one can hope maybe one day <laughs> if it gets big enough, I guess. <laughs> oh, I know. I kind of wish they would try out different ones. Cause I, any system that they try out it, that system is just going to blow up. Like it's yeah. just going to become the mm-hmm. biggest thing on the planet for better or for worse. Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was very excited uh, when I came home, I was driving home from work and then uh, I get home and, and I tw- checked Twitter and there was like 150 things. And I was like, what the heck? And I saw <laughs> Matt Mercer bought a book and I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, that is, that is so cool. Like that, mm-hmm. that, that's got to be almost like no matter what the feelings you have about like the 5e system because i know it's not everyone's cup of tea cough cough yeah cough cough <laughs> um, but like matt mercer you can't deny he's a really good gm i guess in this case i could say dm but and to have someone of like his caliber reaching out to you like wow just mind-blowing yeah. i would say Oh, and what blew me away was that he bought the hardback. It wasn't just like a PDF or something yeah. that he could have bought. Like he full went for the, the hardback. And I was like, that's insane. <laughs> I would, awesome. Yeah, I would love to see his game room, just like his personal game room to see what that oh, one yeah. he has. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there, uh, there's, there's a plethora of different like species and classes and all that stuff. And, the, and then the system itself is quite unique. But do you have like almost like a personal favorite like class and a personal favorite species? Oh, man, I was asked this the other night on the stream, actually. Yeah. So uh, I'm a little bit more prepared now. Uh, <laughs> I Like I said earlier, I made all the classes and species to be something that I could thoroughly enjoy. But I'm a huge fan of the Celestia, which are like these star people basically mm-hmm. they have an entire galaxy swirling inside their uh their uh, humanoid like glass container oh, they're so cool plus the fact that once per day they can link up to like 10 adversaries together and they all share damage uh, it's it's great um but plus they're just really cool because they they know a lot about this universe but they're also very naive to stuff uh and then as far as favorite class goes i love magic especially the magic and veil of the void. Like that was the thing that I spent the most time designing to get magic to be right where I wanted it to be. And I think in the core rulebook, if I'm limited just to the core rulebook, I would have to pick uh, the Thaumatech because they're super cool for casting. Well, I know Finder is massive into magic, but would you care to explain <laughs> the the magic system for well, our audience? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love the magic system. I'm excited. I, I love when people ask me this loaded question because you're going to get a can of worms answer. Wait, hold on one second. So what do you think of the magic system? <laughs> well, let, let, okay, deep breaths. Here we go. <laughs> so 
I love the magic system. I'm a huge fan of magic, which is why I had to go sci fantasy so that I could combine the two. But in Veil of the Void, you're so magic is drawn from the individual realms of existence outside of our central realm. So there's like reflection magic, there's ether, which is like undead, there's natura magic, which is like magic of life and rebirth, but also wanton destruction. Um, and then there's also the like arcane elements of fire, earth, water, and air, the good stuff. Um, but the magic in this game, you can, as a magic caster, even if you don't take um, the original classes actually. So there are uh, four spellcasting classes, but even if you don't take those classes, you can learn magic over time as you use magic in the game. Um, but basically, you cast magic from each realm. Uh, you have charge states instead of spell slots. So you can never get to a point throughout the day that you can't cast magic. Um, it's impossible for you to do that. However, the more spells you cast from the same realm, the more dangerous and more volatile the magic gets, which can be both a good and bad thing uh, up to a certain level where magic can almost instantly kill you if you fail to cast the the highest tier magic. Um, so there's a little bit of risk with the magic, but what's real fun with it is not only that you have access to every spell tree for every class, uh, regardless of what you pick, um, you actually get a customized spell. So as you cast a spell, if you want to change its entire makeup, you can. It'll be a little bit more difficult. You have to like strain a little bit as you redraw the rune, basically, in the lore. But if you want a fireball, for instance, to transform itself into, let's say, a burst of lightning that upon impacting someone, it, it spawns a huge lightning storm field that strikes down on people. You can do that. Uh, it'll be a little bit more difficult, but you're not limited to just your spell. And with 130 uniquely created spells uh, for the game, there's an insane amount of options you have uh, for casting. Um, and then outside of that, there's also a whole guide in the core rulebook about building your own spells, both using the lore and in-game uh, steps and guides to building a balanced spell, but also to work that into the roleplay aspects so that your wizard really, truly feels like they know magic and they're not just limited to, oh, I can only cast this many per day and I can't really adjust spells unless I have an ability that lets me do so. Nope, not here. You get to do whatever you want with magic within a few set limits um, and uh, a few guides to prevent you from going absolutely Nova, but... <laughs> There's no there's no no real limit with magic, which is why I love it so much in this game. How do you balance that mechanically? I'm just wondering because like it's it sounds like it's a lot. And like you said, like the rules themselves, they they do seem very simple, but it just sounds like there's so many additional things. Is this mostly like crunch on the player end that w for creating these things or how would it work actually in game? Well, actually, so so the best thing is if you're trying to so so most spells they all use the same so so everything in the game actually uses the same rules. Um, so regardless of if you're trying to manipulate the spell or if you're trying to cast a spell or if you're trying to attack with attack with the spell, you use an arcanting skill, which your character gets better at, of course, as you use it or as you train with it, but. Basically, you just roll one check regardless of what you're trying to do, and then you describe what you would like to do. And then there is a set quick guide for the GM to look over to be like, oh, OK, so we'll raise the difficulty by like one level uh, and then that can be done. So it's actually really fast in combat uh, figuring out how to do it. And in fact, I have a spellcaster who uh, at level 15, he was able to cast three spells in the same turn. And it only took us five seconds, basically, to get over it. Like, he was like, yep, here's the spell. Here's how it works. Here's my difficulties. I pre-rolled my checks. And here's what's happening. And uh, it it's actually, like, it sounds like it could be a lot. But once you start playing it, um, it's actually really easy to cast everything and to manipulate it on the fly. Well, that sounds absolutely awesome. Um, mm -hmm. I know uh, Finder has almost remarkably bad rolls. So let's say, and when I say remarkably bad, like, I mean, I have never seen anyone fail as much or as hard as he does. Um, so 
I'm going to ask this question. Unless Finder, you already have a question built up for the magic system, since I know you love magic. But how quickly would he die with his magic, with his rolls? <laughs> so here's the best part about Veil of the Void. Your skills do something. So, for instance, at level one, your skill gives you a pip that you can add, uh, meaning that you can turn a number from a four to a five, which will then count as a success. Or if you're trying not to die, <laughs> you could change a two, which is one of the fails, to a three, uh, therefore removing any failures that might show up with it. But uh, on side of that, it, it, you're, the more and more you train with your magic, the more you cast it, the, the better you are at magic, um, so that there's ways for you to counteract the danger. In fact, having just three points in a magic system, which is fairly feasible actually at level one, lets you re-roll an entire check. Uh, and it also gives you plus one bonus die to roll with. So bas basically how you determine uh, rolls in this game, you have a virtue uh, that you put points into, kind of like the attributes in D&D, &D, just a, a little bit more. Um, and the number in that virtue determines how many D6s you start with. And then you get to add any bonus dice. Uh, for instance, if you have level three in your Arcanting skill, you would get plus one bonus die. Um, and then you would roll that check and you would add up the fives and sixes to see if you can cast it. Uh, if you roll horribly, which is finder, I understand. I literally have horrible <laughs> luck, especially when I'm trying not to kill players. Uh, that's what I always end up do killing them. <laughs> but there's so many ways with skills and not only skills, but expertise and your classes and everything all works together to make it so that you as a player feel super strong and feel super good at what you are designed to do. You're never going to feel like you're bad at your spells. And you're never so determinate on roles that it screws you over. Now, that isn't to say that there isn't some complexity and difficulty with it. I mean, sometimes the dice gods literally just want to curse you. Uh, and no matter how many times you reroll, you just get absolute unlucky. But most of the time, there are fail-safes and ways to get out of stuff. And even then, we have a whole critical system, uh, a critical spectrum, I like to call it, where based on, let's say you roll, you succeed a check... Or actually, you know, better yet, because of bad luck, let's say you fail a check, but you roll just enough uh, successes, uh, fives and sixes, you roll five of them, which is considered a critical hit. Uh, even though you fail that check, something good could happen with it at the same time. So there's so many fail safes and checks in the game to make players feel really strong, but also at the same time, not overburden a GM because... As someone who plays this game a lot, I have never TPK'd anyone in another system, but in Veil of the Void, because players get so cocky, I have TPK'd twice now. Uh, so <laughs> there's, there's ways for a GM to balance the system really easily while also making players feel so powerful at le even level one. It, it's, it, it's, I don't know how it turned out this way. I really don't, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> Happy accident. Oh yeah, happy uh, little although, accidents. <laughs> you, you did mention something that I was curious about with the critical hits, uh -huh. um, and, and it could just be that I, I haven't fully grokked the the system yet. Mm -hmm. But it does look like that with the critical hit, with any difficulty that's over tough, mm -hmm. would every success be a critical hit? Because I I've got to get seven successes, which gives me five, which would be an automatic critical hit. So, so here's the fun thing, right? So critical successes are different than critical hits. Critical hits are when you roll fives, uh, when you roll the five fives, but there's also critical fails, which is when you roll the five ones or twos. Um, but to counteract critically succeeding for every check, uh, especially for more complex and difficult checks, um, in order to critically succeed something, you have to match the difficulty plus one. So you're not always critically succeeding checks. Um, it does happen quite often, but you're not, it, especially not like how it used to be before Reforged came into play. Uh, you're definitely not critically succeeding every check, but the whole critical hit system comes into play for when something bad happens. Um, so even if something bad happens, you can fail forward rather than just fall on your back. So it, I actually really like the critical spectrum. Cool. Sorry. And, just and with... with <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to ask another quick question there. Uh, no, Santa. it's okay. I just failed my constitution and 
choked on water. So. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Way to go! It's <laughs> impressive. At least Trevor wasn't rolling damage for you. So ah <laughs> uh, yes, oh dear. Uh, let's not do that. Don't give me the dice. <laughs> uh, with with as flexible as magic is, does that? How does that leave like your non-magic types feeling in a game if there's a magic using character as well? Do they end up feeling impotent after a period of time or? So that was one thing I hated in other systems, whereas, whereas martial classes didn't feel like they did anything. So whether or not you use magic in this game, I specifically designed magic, even though it's far more free form uh, to be balanced alongside martial classes. So honestly, sometimes martial classes are, I will actually every time you need a good diverse party um, because you want someone that's going to keep you away from casters or someone that's going to be able to balance out the team so that if something, for instance, comes up with adversaries that can consume magic, because there's a lot of them in this game, you have something to go back on. But even more so, casters, uh, if they don't want to cast something, they also have martial abilities. So in the end, they're, again, I don't know how it turned out this way, but they're, they're both surprisingly equal as far as their viability on the battlefield and their customization. Because I've actually had people that, uh, and, and this is one thing the, the rule book specifically states, is it's all about reflavoring and that there isn't something that you can't do. Um, I had someone who, uh, let's go back to the Field Knight example, which is one of the martial classes. Instead of charging, they asked me if they could do this like backflip uh, where they could like drop kick someone into the air and activate the rocket boots uh, to kick them into the sky so that the Arcant Arcanter who was uh, unable to see him could then cast a spell as a reaction. And yeah, that was able to be done. He, the difficulty was a little higher, but he able, he drop kicked the person or uh, uh, up kicked the person into the sky to which the caster then used their reaction to um, summon a uh, dragon that actually like came down and bit him and then flew out of there. Uh, and so th there's a, there's a, a beautiful amount of chaotic symphony, like um, synergy between all these different classes um, and whether or not you use magic is not going to make you feel weaker um, and whether or not you use ranged or melee, you're not going to feel weaker either because everything in this game, in particular, every class in this game has very important abilities that play off of what you want to use. Mm -hmm. Cool. And Santa, you were going to say something I thought? Oh, no, I, I was just, uh, I, I was just saying, I was, I was going to say I was going to hit the pause button, uh, just cause I was choking. So <laughs> I'm not choking anymore. So, uh, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. The interview. Well, we got two other people. They could have continued. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. The show must go on. I'll, I'll be fine. So one thing I've noticed is you interact with your community quite a bit. How much have the fans actually influenced uh, Reforged Edition? So they were great. Um, uh, I didn't have as many testers for the first game, uh, as many eyes, because it's actually incredibly difficult. One of the biggest difficulties as a as a tabletop game is finding people willing to test your game out um but eventually with reforged i took every last bit of feedback um whether critical or not to improve the game and then i also did a ton of studying on the side to see what i could do to make the game even better and then took uh feedback from the community um but outside of that like they they played a huge portion in this game because I, I love listening to what they think uh what their ideas are in fact we have a whole section in the back of the rule book dedicated to player created items and monsters that i able that i put into the game from community who thought it would be cool to have their items in the game so community is the biggest part to me about this game because i just i i love my community they're all amazing and i really want to make sure that i deliver something that not only I would want, but something that I think they deserve. No, that's um, that's definitely a good way to look at it, especially like making a podcast. I'm not going to lie. It's not too, too hard. I just had to learn some skills <laughs> and talk to a few people. But to really dig into like designing an RPG and taking criticisms, like I, 
I feel like Scott, I you probably already know this feeling, but like for me, that just sounds mind blowing. Just how much <laughs> extra effort you need to put in to make sure everyone's happy is. So uh, yeah, I'm just, just mostly listening, but yeah, I mean that's just you're never going to make everyone happy. Oh yeah, uh, and you know you're going to see weird comments, and it gets frustrating. You just take a breath. You know, like I said, I've had one person who was like, "I don't see the section for X." So you go in and you're like, oh, "Damn it!" So you quote the book. You're like, "Hey, it's right here on the page. Maybe you missed it and read right over it where it was in, you know, 21 point font." But you know that happens. Uh, but you don't say that out loud. You're just like, "Okay, here we go." But yeah, you can't ever make everyone happy because everyone has their own idea of what your game should be, right? I'm sure you see the mm-hmm. same feedback. And oh yeah, you smile through the suggestions, and it's just like, "Okay, I'll get to that. I'll think about it." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do have a question about the, the resolution mechanic, and I, I understand where it would be probably more difficult to do it because of the PIP system, but um, it's, it's I mean, it, it really is, it's fate, right, using uh, regular uh-huh. six-sided dice, yeah, and so did you ever think about using fate dice for this um, and just having the, the results flip from plus minus to neutral, or were you I always... did not. I hated okay. the fate dice. <laughs> I hated the fate system. I could not, I did not get into it. I hated having to buy dice specifically for that system. So I was like, eh, most people I know have D6s. So I'm just going to design a whole new system uh, that doesn't follow that idea and lets people just use D6s. Because as someone who came from Warhammer in particular, I loved rolling up to like 20 D6s, which you can do in Veil of the Void. So I I was like, nah, I'm just going to keep it simple. Just D6s. Everybody has them, uh, and just go from there and build a system off that. Nice. So, what was your army? Uh, oh gosh, my first one was Sylvanith. I I, I liked. The, oh, I love uh, their models. The, yeah, their models are so good. And then I built Zinch because oh, I love Changers of Ways. They're great. I I have a thousand sons. <laughs> oh, thousand sons are so good in 40k. I also have a huge set of them. Yeah. Um, and right now I'm actually building Soul Blight Gravelords because. I love the look of their models. Plus, good old fantasy vampires. I was so happy to see that again. Yeah. No. Uh, it's kind of funny because, like, uh, you can kind of. I lost my train of thought here. Was something? Was <laughs> something Warhammer? Damn Were you going to compare the, the? You can see the Warhammer influences in the system. That's it. Thank you very much. You're Scott. welcome. You You are my guardian <laughs> angel. Yeah. No. Because, like, I noticed this, but like that. Uh, a lot of people who either came from wargaming or playing wargaming, they tend to really enjoy the battle maps. And I noticed a lot in uh, your design that you have battle maps designed. Have you ever tried to, um, well, do you know if uh, Theater of the Mind works for your game too? or It does, actually, because I, I give in certain sections about... Um uh like feet guide and how much rounds would be instead of like a round it's more like related to about 10 seconds time frame and i really set it up to where the gm can do theater of mind in fact i've used theater of the mind a lot uh because there's sometimes that you just really don't want to set up a map (laughs) (laughs) and so i'll be like yeah the guy's roughly about five squares away from you and then they'll go in there and then look at their skills and be like okay cool i can cast out this person or i mean if you really want to dive in you can be like oh they're about you know 10 feet which would be like two squares away so um however you feel best about this game uh to run it would be how you would run it so either theater of the mind or even pen and paper whatever you want to do no, that's awesome. Um, so I think I know the answer to this one, but if you can pinpoint one thing in the book that you're especially proud of, what would it be? Ah, oh, see, this is the difficult question because I thought <laughs> I knew it too. Um, and then I started thinking about it and I was like, ah, oh, but there's like everything in the book that I'm so proud of. Um, but you know, with Reforged in particular, outside of what I said about the skills earlier leveling up, I think my favorite thing with Reforged is my GM's guide because I dove deep into how I run this game so that new GMs or old GMs could easily pick it up and run it. Um, Cause that was very important to me that in the first edition, I, I didn't add as much as I should have for GMs cause I just didn't think about it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes back to the whole community thing. Uh, GMs would tell me, Oh, maybe put some guides in there. And I went through and I added basically every single guide I used to make everything in the game. So I'm real proud of that section, especially the combat section, because there's a special uh, guide in there, like a, a 
what do you call them? Equation, an equation that helps you build your combat. Uh, and people have come back to me and they're like, oh yeah, I hated the way D and D did it. So I'm just using your combat system now to, <laughs> to figure out how to throw monsters at my enemies rather, or at my players rather than CR difficulty. I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, so out of, out of curiosity and we're a very, we're a safe place. No judgment. <laughs> what do you think of 5e? So I think it's great for people that want to play it. It is not my cup of tea anymore. It used to be. Um, but since playing this game, I never want to go back to any other system. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, again, I made it so that I could enjoy it and it could be and fit every idea I had. So I like I never harp on anybody else's idea. And, and, and that's actually one thing that makes me mad that I see a lot in other uh, in the tabletop community sometimes is people like, oh, well, you shouldn't play d and I'm like, guys, let's, let's just have fun with whatever stories we have fun with. <laughs> like, I, I want people to play Veil of the Void. I will not lie. I think it is much better than D&D. And a lot of people have told me that. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't care. If, if people want to play their own system, then <laughs> I mean, I'm going to keep playing mine. So. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy out there. I catch shit because... You know, of all of the games I design, and then people will be like, "Oh, what do you really enjoy?" So I really, honestly enjoy running like Dungeon World more than anything, and it's just like, "Oh my god, why? How?" It was like, <laughs> because it's so fast, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I don't understand why people do that in these communities. Like, first of all, what does it matter to you when I play? <laughs> like, are you the one playing it no i'm the one playing it so i I never understood that whole oh well you play this why not this because i want to play this yeah (laughs) now now, with with all that being said when you're alone with uh, your significant other or your normal gaming group what system do you guys like to bash uh, <laughs> we, I, I honestly, I don't. I just, I don't have a system that I, I really care that much to look at anymore. So I honestly, like, my whole idea anymore is to just have fun with Veil of the Void and not worry about other systems. Uh, and so I don't really care about that. <laughs> I just. My friends and I just come to play Veil of the Void, and that's what we play. I do have some friends that will tear down D&D in particular because they hate it, but I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. I don't know it what's is. with you today, Fighter. You are just like on an evil streak. It's, awesome. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not so much really systems. It's just, you know, some systems just have these real weird quirks or mechanics that are just, they really are hot garbage. You know, I write professionally for Savage Worlds, and <laughs> until this edition, and even I was just like, your chase mechanics suck balls. They are the worst. And you're like, oh, no, 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 you're just a hater. I'm like, I write for the game, but the chase mechanics <laughs> are terrible. Just admit it that there's a mistake made. You know, and then the converse oh, is yeah. true, too, because, like, I'll defend D&D's death mechanic. It was like, stop. What is – you are so myopically focused on, you know, your zero hit points – F you, you're dead. I don't care. I'm like, oh my god, you guys are killing me with this. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I definitely understand that. Yeah, you know, I think it was more when I was designing the game. I thought of things that I didn't like in other systems, yes. and I was like, how can I make it better? Yeah. Uh, how can I like? Because I hated, absolutely deplored the D and D magic system. Dang it, I'm a wizard. I should be able to manipulate magic, and I should not have to worry about a limit on magic because I'm a freaking wizard. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, well, how can I completely rework magic in my system while making it balanced? And that that one took me a year and a half to figure out. Um, But I'm super happy with how it is now because you feel like you're a wizard uh, while also still having some limits um, that could be scary. So... Yeah, and honestly, like when you're talking about the magic system, but even about uh, you know how skills improve when you use them, mm-hmm. um, I was just thinking, um, Finder only succeeds on skills that he has absolutely no training with. <laughs> well, well, that and he fails everything. So, like Powered by the Apocalypse, his character was like eighty levels above everyone else because he's <laughs> marking experience every other role. <laughs> 
Oh, well, you know, <laughs> you know what's also on. really good about Veil of the Void is I took that into account. <laughs> so if you don't have, so if you only have one or two skill points, if you have, well, sorry, zero to two skill points invested in a skill, you also gain a point when you fail it because your character is learning from mistakes. So yeah. even if you fail checks, you eventually learn and get to the point where you need successes now because you have a reroll, you have plus one bonus die, you have a pip, which all dramatically improve your ability. Um, but basically, you are always in a learning process. Like, I, I mean, there are very few people that are prodigies in this world and can pick something up and immediately do it. So Veil of the Void definitely tries to play on that and and even if you're someone like finder or someone like me who fails nonstop <laughs> on stuff, uh, you're still going to get there. And, and another thing that games bugged me with was that players didn't feel like they had power. Um, and so in veil of the void, you definitely feel strong at level one. Like you, you feel that you're good at what you're designed to be good at, that you can learn to be good at stuff and that you can sometimes strike the fear of God in people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you get over cocky and the GM throws a strong level adversary at you and you all almost die. And then you go, okay, maybe we aren't as scary as we think we are, but we still feel good. <laughs> I won't lie to you. There's in the critical system. When you get a critical attack, you roll on a critical chart. And if you roll a six on your D six, you instantly kill adversaries that are average and under. So like, Oh, it feels so good to roll that six. And it's just like, Oh yeah, you get this headshot and you like, how do you kill this person? <laughs> it's a, uh, uh, your, your characters feel strong while the game is still balanced. Uh, it, it makes me quite happy again. No clue how it turned out this way, but uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love rolling charts. I oh, don't, me too. Oh, they're the best things ever. And I don't know why I love them so much, but I do. Oh, man, you would love the Soldier of Change then, because there's two charts you get to roll on after every second attack, I think it is. You get to, or a after every second round, you get to roll on this attack based on if you're order or chaos, and something happens based on what you roll on. And there's like 24 different options that could come up, some really good, some really got, uh, bad. Uh, based on what happens but uh, if you like charts that's definitely a specialization <laughs> i would play and that's a non-unique specialization too meaning you can take it on any class so that's awesome mm -hmm. let's say we got a new uh new gm coming in what would be mm -hmm. some advice you'd have for him if you wanted to run the game not only for you know just playing the game but even how to come how to convince someone to uh you know try out the system oh man Convince someone to try out the system. That's a really hard thing. It, yeah. People are so stuck in what they want to play. Um, I even have trouble convincing new people. But uh, but one thing I, I always like to tell GMs is to focus on two things in the rule book. One, chapter two, because that's everything you need to know to play the game. And mm -hmm. even then, you only need to focus on the green boxes. All the, the blue ones uh, are occasionally useful skills that come up every or checks that come up every now and then but you really just need to know the green sections in the in the chapter two the green sections in chapter three um and then just read through just do a quick glance through the gm's guide and basically you'll know everything you need to know to run the game and to teach your players uh convincing players to play on the other hand uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's they might, be, might have to be a little creative on their end but one thing i guess you could tell people is uh that it's just fun uh, I, I get a lot of people to play the game because I tell them, oh yeah, you can do whatever you want to do and it you have a blast doing it. So, Yeah, that's how you sell me on any system. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about fun. In fact, our whole company's motto that I have trademarked is uh, this is going to be fun. So <laughs> it's like the whole point. I, I said it so often when I played this game that my players were like, well, why don't you trademark that for your company? I was like, that's brilliant. Just the logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, do you guys have any uh, questions for Trevor? We have. At oh, least I got a couple, couple more. Right? I was yeah. just seeing uh, before going to some of the closing questions. Okay. Well, if, if you're ready to go to the closing questions, depending <laughs> what your closing questions. Are. <laughs> Biders feel like it's a goddamn business meeting. Go find her. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. So ask for closing questions. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, I'm here as long as you guys need me. I you literally just tell me to shut up when you're done with me, and uh, otherwise I will just keep going on. 
Uh, so, are you working on anything else right now? Oh, yeah. Working hard on a few extra things. Um, I'm always working on something. I have 50 other classes that I'm eventually going to release because um, <laughs> I just don't stop writing. But the main focus right now is actually Veil of the Void Yggdrasil, which is our first expansion for the rulebook. And it is a Psy Norse universe. Uh, built on top of this universe and the fun thing is we use so much stuff from the core rulebook that when you read through the lore of the new rulebook you're going to be like wait what that's what that first thing was in the core rulebook um and so yeah we're, we're super excited for this one it's going to be a futuristic norse setting but at the same time it also has a lot of dark souls influence in the fact that you can kill players really easily so players are going to need to watch out because basically ragnarok is running loose um we have like five or six new classes, each with three specializations, uh, such as like the Valkyrie who can basically after combat, they can take someone's fate string and send it to the hall of Valhalla. And then later on they can channel their powers. Uh, we have a watcher who views the universe turns and can see which realm is closest to their current one, thereby gaining special effects and boons from it. Uh, we have a spirit caller who summons the, uh, slaying ancestral spirits to assist them um, and uh, a berserker who goes absolutely insane in combat uh, wears various different slain animal uh, hides to imbue himself with their powers uh, and then of course you know we have ettons which are playable species if you want to be a massive giant or godlings if you want to be someone like Thor or Loki uh, and so we, we have a lot of content coming up in that expansion a lot of work but man it's so cool are you doing other cultures as well uh yeah eventually too um i am going to eventually dive into uh, some native american stuff because i'm actually native american and i've been spending a lot of time studying uh our history and it's been real cool so we have a um a fairy tale expansion coming out after Yggdrasil, and it, it's going to use a lot of influences from various different cultures as well as uh, some Native American content. So I'm super excited for all that. Cool. Very cool. Now, I, I had also read that you were working on something that involved cards and maps. Yeah. So uh, we we actually have spell cards for the game, um, which let you keep. No, no, no. Oh. I, I mean, uh, a different project that seems to yes. combine those two things together. I, I, there wasn't a lot of information. That's on it, that so. one's off in the future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, okay. I made a. Uh, I, I had a lot of the rules for it, and, and I've played a few of it, and it's been really fun. But I made basically a Warhammer like esque uh, Veil of the Void version um, that is actually also designed where if you want to do a large scale battle for the core rulebook or the TTRPG, then you can use that rule system to do a large battle and you can transfer over your characters from the core rulebook to be heroes in the miniature game. Um, so that one's definitely heavy works in the progress, probably way in the future, but it, it'll be something fun. And then on top of that, I also have a somewhat magic-like uh, card game, I guess that's the best way to describe it, that uses all the various heroes that are mentioned in the rulebook. Um, but again, that's all way in the future because I have like a whole idea of a company I want to have that has all these umbrella little projects in it, but getting the money to do so uh, <laughs> is, uh, is the difficult part. <laughs> oh, no doubt. So if anyone is looking to either get into the, well, like to get into the game or even just find out more information about it, where can they go to find it? All right. So, uh, of course, our website is www.sdgcreatives.com, um, or the easiest way to find every link, everything you need is linktree slash veil of the void, uh, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot, um, dot E-E slash veil of the void. That takes you to um, all of our links for the characters, sheets. Uh, there's a demo book that we have if you want to try before you buy um and then of course you can go to every link from the roll 20 character sheets to everything else that you might need to play the game both in person and online fantastic now finder that was my last question do you got anything else <laughs> okay yeah then we have i have at least two Perfect. to three questions one is if you had to kill a puppy every time your game oh was my sold, god would killing you continue me. killing puppies oh, god. he's going he's going deep into this oh. <laughs> 
if I had to kill a puppy? No, of course not. I love the game, but I'm not going to sell it okay, to then. kill something. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would much rather if I was if I was in a, in a in a godless wasteland of a future where I'd have to kill a dog in order to sell this book. I would rather give it away to people and collect the dogs instead. <laughs> uh, I feel like that question needs a little bit of backstory. Um, <laughs> I feel like yes. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Finder were chatting before this just on Discord, right? And he mentioned he's like, yeah, we should and I mentioned like oh yeah, he's really excited to uh, come on. And he's like, Oh, that's great. We should try and make sure that our guests are excited but also terrified. I was like, How would oh, okay. and I was like, How would you make them terrified to come on? Why would you want to? And then I don't know, it just kind of spitballed from there and I was just like, What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> He's in a very spicy mood today. He's very I, spicy. Haven't haven't met you, Finder, but I can tell that today, just that that chef's kiss amount of spiciness. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and my last my last question. Oh God! Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Is have you seen oh. the movie Mazes and Monsters? Mazes and Monsters. I have not. Oh. I actually barely have any time to watch movies. <laughs> Well, you're probably a little young for this one anyway. It goes, it's old TTRPG yeah. history stuff. But anyway, that, that takes care of the second, the follow up question, which is <laughs> what do you think about it? <laughs> All right. What about you, Scott? You got anything? No, I think it's solid. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I really like the, like the concept of it when I was reading it. Like I was reading the classes and. I was reading the was it the the species and everything like that, and I, I love tons of options. And I was like, you know what, this sounds really cool. And oh, good. it it was, I was reading it, and at first I was like almost a little bit overwhelmed because I was just like, okay, what do you do here? What do you do that? What the hell is a pips? Uh, mm-hmm. But the more and more I actually looked at it, the more I was like, oh no, okay, I see what he's doing here. Oh, I got that. I never got to the magic <laughs> system yet. Because I never look at it's, it's it was the same thing with like Shadowrun. I don't like to look at systems that I'm not planning to use yet. <laughs> ah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, fantastic. You've been a you know fantastic on. If you ever want to come back on for either just a random conversation while we explore a random topic we have way overthought, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> Uh, that does sound fun. I like overthinking. Oh, God, it, it, we overthink way too much. No, we don't. We don't <laughs> overthink anything. There's just topics that are the zeitgeist of tabletop role playing for the last forty years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually curious now. If you guys have looked over it since you were talking about, do you have a species you're interested in? Because I always love seeing what people would think about. Okay. They'd want to play. I do. I'm horrible with names, so give me a second to <laughs> pull it up. Like I am the worst at names possible that's okay so am i I understand i won't hold it against you yeah like i like i i like 40k right but even then i'm just like uh what's the name of the ones you know the evil elves and i'm like i should know this because my buddy has an army for it but i for (laughs) some reason i just can never remember if i see the name i know it um which one was it i really like the idea of i think it was the reapers but i like mm. the idea of doing a uh, magic reaper with uh with the which one was it? the mimic class oh the mimic is so much fun yeah. that thing is and, such a headache for gms and, I love it. and deal and put it with like the reflect uh the reflect mm. spells and i was just mm-hmm. like that i it would be such a fun concept and scott's dm'd me for quite a while now he kind of knows my play style so <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mimic, mimic is a great class like being able to reflect incoming attacks against the attacker ah, i love it <laughs> so much fun they're weird yeah that's that's my characters in a nutshell uh we're playing mothership right now and i'm playing mm. uh a hipster artist soldier who used to work at uh well, it's not Starbucks anymore because, you know, they got to space, so they had to upgrade the name. So it's now Galaxy Bucks uh, because, you know, they're in space, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, they're past the stars. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> what about you guys? You guys, uh, I know Scott's are forever GM, by the way. So uh, yeah. <laughs> forever, forever GMs represent. I yeah, exactly. Yeah.
And I, I will be honest, I skipped the races because I was more interested in trying to see if, what, what I could learn about the, uh, the core mechanic itself. So I, I kind of skipped this chapter two and started reading some oh, well, of the chapter I mean, two stuff. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, well, I figure I, I, if I, when I get to the point of creating a character, I'll look at the races at that point. So that's why mm-hmm. I just skip past, but, um, looking at the names real quickly, the ones that would probably jump out just based on the name would be the exiled oh, or the reapers. Exiled are so cool. They're, they're really fun to bring in characters from other games is to use the exiled because you can have them die in that universe and then respawn in this one, which I actually did that once for a DM uh, for a Dungeons and Dragons party um, where we took their old characters uh, well after they had uh, fought a boss and it got TPK'd with it. Um, they, they came back as exiles in this universe and now there are a bunch of fantasy characters trying to figure out what the heck a, a sci-fi gun is. <laughs> Although both lie our warrior the 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 um the barbarian who became a field knight was like I get plasma axes you're telling me <laughs> I need to slice things even more <laughs> Anyways, RP people, I think that's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank our guest Trevor for joining us again. Uh, if you want to find any of his work, you go, can go to his website at sdgcreatives.com or follow him on Twitter at PublishersSDG. Also, Trevor has been very nice to us and he's given us a coupon for $5 off. Just type in RPSP5 at purchase. And if you like any of our stuff uh, from roleplaying at Smart People, you can send me a message on Twitter at RPSmartPeople or send me an email at RPSmartPeople at gmail.com. We're a small channel and we appreciate all the support and would love to hear from you guys. Also, you know, tell your friends about us, your family, your dog, your cat, and even scream it from the rooftop. Just make sure not before 11 o'clock for noise complaints. And have a great weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Was that cheesy? No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right amount of cheese. <laughs> A little bit. Okay, A little good. bit of cheese.